Church, I want to invite you to the Christmas and carols tonight, or Cocoa and carols tonight. And uh, uh, too, too many C words there. But um, it, it, is, it is part of the Christmas celebration, part of the Christmas season. But we're going to have Cocos, and we're going to sing carols, and we're going to play games, and we're going to encourage one another. This is tonight at 5 o'clock uh, up here at the Family Life Center or the gym, however you want to call it, but over here. And um, there's, a, there's a few things I want to tell you about. First, if you have that, um, that itch to do decoration, you know, the, the, the Christmas decoration, maybe, maybe you haven't done it at home yet, or maybe you uh, aren't quite through yet, uh, the, the crew needs some other people to come up today at 1 to help them decorate. So come help them decorate. I guarantee you it's not going to be anything... Um, special or, or fancy. It's just going to be fun stuff. But come and help them decorate. And um, you know, so I say that so that you'll know, don't get intimidated. Just come and help, okay? Everybody come and help. Cut out little snow angels or whatever. Um, but anyway, come and do that at one. And then bring your favorite games. Um, we're going to be doing some of that tonight. We're going to do that again on New Year's Eve. I'll tell you later about some plans to do a game night that's not only going to be encouraging, but it's also going to create a, uh, an alternative for folks who need to overcome loneliness, who need to overcome temptation, and be with us and get together and encourage one another on New Year's Eve. But we're going to do that tonight, so it's kind of a warm-up. All right, Coco and Carol's tonight. Come at 1 and decorate. Come at 5 and celebrate and bring your games. Deal? All right, it's for you. Somebody's out there thinking, oh, that's for the kids and you. Somebody's out there thinking, oh, that's for the older people and you. All right, it's for everybody. And I think the wagey's going to go out and look at Christmas lights afterwards, right? Yeah. So there's all kinds of fun that can be had today. And it is part of encouragement. And last week we looked at uh, the verses from the, the, the theme of verses that started in Deuteronomy 31 and continued into Joshua 1. Where the word of Moses to the people and the word of Joshua to the people is be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because God goes before you. And, and these words are words that are meant to encourage, to instill courage deep within. And when we are giving encouragement to one another, we are fighting against the forces of loneliness and negativity fighting against the forces of despair. In fact, you know, some of you may ask me today why I'm wearing the uh, uh, flag of Switzerland on my lapel pin. It's to fight negativity. Uh, I know Switzerland doesn't get involved in things, but their flag is a big plus. And so <laughs> I stole that joke from Steve Allen's dad. And uh, so anyway, there you go. See, it's clever. You can look at the flag later if you still don't know what I'm talking about. The, uh, the, the, the point is that when we encourage one another, we are fighting off things that discourage us, and it truly does interfere with our discipleship and the mission of God in this world. We asked a question last week, and I want to bring this up again. Does God really care if we are encouraged or not? I mean, do, does He really want us to be encouraged 
Or is God sort of indifferent on the whole encouragement thing? And encouragement is a bonus. That God really has a set of instructions. He has a mission. He has something he wants us to do. And if we happen to be encouraged by it, well, that's a bonus. But if not, you'd better do what he says anyway. And I'm, I, 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 I tried to make the case last week, and I want to reinforce that this week, that not only does God really truly care that we are encouraged, he has given us the resources from heaven so that we may truly be encouraged, filled with courage, strengthened in our heart, in our inner being. Yeah. So God is not, not, doesn't just care, but he's invested in the process. And this is a good time to talk about this because we talk about the Spirit, the Spirit of Christmas. And when the Spirit of Christmas, when you hear about that, what comes up? Do you think of that magical force that powers Santa's sleigh? You know, every, every movie tends to have something about the Spirit of Christmas. And, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is the Spirit of Christmas like Christmas cheer and you sing so loud that everyone can hear? Uh, Buddy the Elf has to teach everybody to sing so loud so that it will power Santa's sleigh. And, you know, is, is that what spirit is? Just singing loud, getting boisterous? Uh, is, is Christmas spirit like a ghost? Like in, uh, like in Scrooge, you know, where uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, glowing with the force, came to visit Scrooge. Somebody's saying that's not o- Actually, that is Obi-Wan Kenobi there uh, playing Marley. And uh, so, you know, tells you where George Lucas got his ideas. And, uh, you know, is that what a spirit is? A Christmas spirit? And, and, and you, you may be asking, well, why, why, are you, why are you talking about all these Christmas references? What does this have to do with anything? It's because of the way that we use the term spirit. In fact, sometimes we're not even sure about Christmas spirit. And, you know, I think this is why some of us appreciate the Grinch. Because he's, he's our anti-spirit. He kind of controls all this. And you know we've all seen that person. We know that person. And maybe some of us are that person who's just over the top with Christmas spirit. And they boast about it. And they go on and they're all overblown and gasconading and on and on and on about having Christmas spirit. And my, They have this show that I saw last night about the great Christmas light fight. First of all, you're turning the spirit of Christmas into a fight. These people get all excited and this guy gives them this giant Christmas bulb because they won the contest. And he's like, you get $50,000. And these people are a little less than excited, like, eh, probably because they're thinking, that'll pay half of our electric bill. And, uh, you know, but again, it's like, oh, let's just go over the top. But is that Christmas spirit? The way we use spirit seems to be nothing more than an attitude or a little bit of manufactured, generated feeling and cheer. And we're okay with that with Christmas spirit because we know that with the Christmas spirit, you're only required to do that for maybe a month, at least a week, certainly one day, but you're not going to keep that going all year. But don't we have a very different attitude, and I think we should, towards the Holy Spirit? 
The Holy Spirit kind of intimidates us, let's be honest. And it's been, honestly, it's been intimidating to us historically. And without fail, every year that I'm in ministry, somebody always says, look, can you explain the Holy Spirit? And early on, I said, yeah, we could have lessons on that. Let's go do, let's do a study of the Holy Spirit. And now that I've gotten older, when people ask me that, they say, can you explain the Holy Spirit? I say, no. But I know it's good, and I know we need it. There you go. And, uh, and yet, I think that the Holy Spirit need not be intimidating or fearful and is there any lesson at all in this idea of Christmas spirit? And is it anything at all like the Holy Spirit? Well, yes, insofar as they connect us to something greater. But no, because the source of the Holy Spirit is different and the product that it creates is different as well. I want to show you a verse from Acts, the book of Acts, uh, Acts 9, verse 31. This is one of those summary statements about the church. And we tend to get caught up in the summary statements in chapter 2 and chapter 5, especially chapter 2, because we believe in chapter 2 we see a, a nutshell of the order of worship and what we're supposed to do. But we, we sometimes may neglect this one in, in chapter 9, but, but something interesting has happened by the time we get to chapter 9. By the time we get to chapter 9, the, the mission of the church, God's mission through the church, the growth of the church, has extended beyond the boundaries of, um, of Jerusalem. And Judea, the surrounding countryside, is now wrapped up into that. And Samaria, which we don't always catch the significance of that, but that is saying the people who were at odds with each other, the Jews and the Samaritans, the people who had a lot of bad blood between them, a lot of animosity, they are now being wrapped up as one in God's Holy Spirit. That's huge. That's the transformation of human community. And we're told here in this summary statement that the church throughout that region, including Samaria, and by the way, notice, the church does not have boundaries. There's Judea, there's Galilee, there's Samaria, the south country, the north country, and the Samaritans. They're all the church. It doesn't say the church is in or the particular types of churches, but the church that exists in all those different places with all those different cultures enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. And they lived in the fear of the Lord encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And so the church increased in number. I really appreciate that line there, that they were encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit is not something for us to just intellectually understand. The Holy Spirit is not something for us to summon or generate, but it is a source of, of God's encouragement that comes to us. It is a resource that has been given to us for our encouragement. That's not explained in this chapter. It's just mentioned as a fact that that's part of what the Holy Spirit does. That when we live in the fear of the Lord, we are encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And when we're encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increases in numbers. 
This is one of the reasons why I think it's so important that you and I are encouraged. If we want to grow, if we want to share the gospel, if we want to extend to others the hope of salvation that comes in Jesus Christ, then we need to be encouraged. Not just encouraged to do so, but we need to have a certain amount of courage in our hearts that we're not afraid to share who we really are and what we believe. We believe, therefore we speak. Now take a look at John 16, a most interesting verse. In John 14 and 15, 16, Jesus um, has an extended conversation with his disciples. If you have a Bible where Jesus uh, speaks in red, where his words are written in red, then there's going to be a lot of red ink spilled in these chapters. And Jesus is explaining some things to his disciples before his departure. And in verse 7, he says, Very truly I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away. That's an emphatic statement. He says, listen here. He says, I'm telling you what. Okay, that's the way they would say it in Texas. I am telling you what. It is actually for your good that I'm going away. You can, you can just imagine them shaking their heads going, no, no, I no, no. Jesus, we don't want you to go away. We want you to stay right here. He says, unless I go away, the paraclete will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Now, I've, not, I've left a word untranslated there. The paraclete. My aunt had a paraclete that could sing songs. That was all the equipment we had to have to join the football team at Greenland. That, that one, that's a lousy one, isn't it? But at least the flag of Switzerland's a big plus. So the, um, and you know, some people talk about the paraclete, and you hear about the paraclete, and you go on about the paraclete, and you're like, it's just such an odd word. It's not an English word. It's a transliteration of a Greek word, and it's like, what's it doing there? Well, here's the problem. And this is why I left it untranslated here. And if I'm becoming a word nerd, I apologize, but this is necessary. And uh, if I'm, you know, I don't know. I don't think I'm getting too lofty here because if I am getting too lofty, don't worry. Uh, I do stupid very well and I'm getting there. Uh, Paraclete. See, the problem with paraclete is you get all these different words translated as paraclete. Depending on what English Bible you're reading. Advocate, comforter, helper, friend, companion. And each of those, I don't know, but would you ever put all of those words together in one basket? You know? An advocate and a comforter. My lawyer is a very comforting person. You know, how does that work? The, I mean, one of them sounds like somebody that you need for legal assistance, and the other one sounds like a big giant blanket that you put on uh, the couch. Uh, the, the, the helper, that sounds like uh, someone who's a subordinate. A friend, that's nice. A companion, that's pretty intimate. What, but if you have all of these various translations of this word, I'm going to need them to be a little closer together before I really get a picture of what Jesus is saying. Now, that's just me. I do understand that the word comforter, 
That's King James, by the way. That's old. And the word comfort in 1611 means something different than it does now. And so if you're holding out saying, oh, yeah, but look, King Jimmy has comforter. And I mean, you know, that, that, you know they got that right. Well, they did for 1611. For you and I, comfort is like uh, the Christmas song, Comfort and Joy, you know. Or it's a, for me and you, it's our favorite chair. It's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's relaxing. It's a Calgon bath, you know, whatever. It's, it's all of that. But the original meaning of the word comfort uh, had to do, now get this, with strengthening someone. That to provide comfort was to strengthen them. Now you and I are thinking that to provide comfort would be, hey, can I go away and relax and no one call me and you know maybe get a massage and uh, have a good meal or something like that. And in fact, we preach against being comfortable, saying that everybody needs to get to work. But in its original meaning, to have comfort was to be strengthened, to be given cheer, to be cheered up. And you see it in that old phrase that we hear sometimes that somebody gets in a lot of trouble because they gave aid and comfort to the enemy. Now, that sounds like a bad thing. Why is that such a bad thing if giving comfort to the enemy means that you uh, sit them in a... Uh, you know, in a wingback chair, put slippers on their feet and serve them hot tea. That doesn't sound very bad, but comfort means that you are actually strengthening the enemy. You're reinforcing them. And that's bad because they seek to kill you if they're the enemy. So when the King James says that the paraclete is the comforter, is it fair to think that maybe the translation there is that the paraclete is the strengthener? Would it even be possible to say that the paraclete is the encourager? Look at these verses. These verses, by the way, that word paraclete shows up in John 16, shows up in John's gospel a few other times. Only place we have it. We don't even see it in ancient literature. I mean, there's not a lot to compare and say, look how they use the word over here. But we do have another form of the word. We have the verb form. Okay, And in the verb form, it shows up. And just in the Bible, here's just a small sampling. 1 Thessalonians 4.18, talking about the resurrection. Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, I want you to remember this. And he says, I want you to encourage one another with these words. And he's using that same word. That when you and I remind each other that Christ is coming back, that the dead will rise, that death doesn't win, that's encouragement. We're strengthening one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. There's that word that gets translated as the comforter in the King James, or at least a, a form of that word. And then in Ephesians 6, 22, Paul is, you know, he's kind of closing out the letter, and he has a lot of P.S. statements there at the end, and he says, I'm, I'm sending uh, Tychicus to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you. And I've left a little bit of that Greek phrase on there because what it shows is that he's saying, not just so that he may encourage you, but so that he may encourage or strengthen your hearts. That inner person 
I mean, Paul sends one of his associates to the Ephesian church with the purpose of strengthening their hearts. That's how important that is. You tell me, is it just possible that in John 16, 7, we could translate that as the encourager? He says, unless I go away, the encouraging spirit or the encourager will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Just for the sake of argument, let's accept that today. Later on, if you want to argue about it with me and say, no, 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 he's talking about a comforter like a big blanket. We can talk about that later. But right now, I'm loving the possibility. And, and not just because it speaks well and because it's something that I want to happen, but based on facts, based on what you read in Scripture, there seems to be this concern that the encourager comes and encourages us, and encouragement is more than just, hey, let's have a pep rally, rah, 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 go team Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you and I being strengthened in our hearts, built up. Why? So that we can be his people and disciples in a world that is sometimes hostile to his people. There's no promise here that by being encouraged by the Spirit, everything's just going to be great and you're always going to be so happy and you're going to have a Christmas cheer smile plastered on your face 365 days a year until it all rolls around again. No. He's saying that you are going to be encouraged and strengthened that even when the world is railing against you and railing against God, you're going to be strong because you're going to have in encouragement you're going to have courage within look at these other verses that go along with that in John 16 these verses come from John 16 he's this is Jesus Jesus says to his disciples all this I've told you so that you will not fall away you know we often get concerned about people falling away from the church and rightly so But what's going to keep people from falling away from the church is not for us to run out and try to make everything just nice and neat for them. Hey, why'd you run away? Why'd you leave us? Why'd you fall away? Were we bad somehow? Did you not like the way we looked at you? Our preacher, does he use too many word nerd stuff? Please, 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 please come back and we'll change everything. Go ahead. We can keep doing that all we want. It's never going to work. But what keeps people from falling away is knowing that they can be strengthened and find the courage to stand up to the difficulties that they find in life. And that's a resource that comes not from our ability to generate happiness from other, for others. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Verse 13, he says, But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all the truth. When you know the truth, you can stand against anything. When you know the truth, you have some certainty. And, the, and truth is not just facts, but it, there is a spirit of truth. That there is more to it than just the reality of God. That there is a benefit of that reality of God. You know, they say that historically, the, um, one of the reasons why in the African-American congregations, in the traditions of America, why there was such strength there was because it was in that environment where you often had churches of, of slaves that they would remember in the church context who they really were, that they were God's children. 
But you know what? That ought to be the same for all of us. That you and I have lies out there in the world. We have forces out there in the world that are telling us that we're worth this much. Oh, especially this time of year. As we start thinking about, you know, what's going to happen next year. Uh, You know, are we going to get raises? Are we going to not get raises? Are we going to get bonuses? Is it going to be a good year? And, and, you know, are are we going to move forward in our career? And you're going to get lies and messages that tell you you're worth this much. You're, you're, You're worth this much. You matter here. You don't matter here. You're included here. You're not included here. Folks, it's the spirit of truth is among God's people where God's spirit is preached and taught and shared and experienced. And that's who you really are. You are his children. Like like Dave said before the, the communion, do you feel important? None of us are worthy to partake of this meal. But we have been invited by the one who is worthy. And as long as we partake in a way that's worthy and respectful of that invitation, then all of you are welcome to participate. This is where we find our real value. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, the truth about yourself, the truth about God, the truth about others, the truth about this world. Look at verse 33. I've told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. This is Jesus promising his disciples, promising you and me, in this world, you will have trouble. The promise of the gospel and the promise of Jesus is not, come follow me and nothing bad will ever happen. I will protect you from every curse and you will get lots of fortune and you'll be able to go and play any game over at the casinos in Oklahoma and win, win, win. No, that is not, it's not magic power. Jesus says, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. (laughs) And did you notice his phrase? Take heart. Your heart, your your, your internal person, your, your emotions, your spirit, your soul. Be strengthened, be comforted, be encouraged. Since Jesus overcame the world, he's opening the way for you and I to overcome the world and its troubles as well. So does God want us to be encouraged? Yeah. The Father says yes. The Son says yes. The Spirit says yes. Very clearly, He cares that we're encouraged. And not only does He care that we're encouraged, He insists upon it. And we'd better get encouraged for the mission of God in this world it matters. And for the church, it matters. In fact, that encouragement and participating in that encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it's a clear function of the church. If if you have not yet experienced that kind of encouragement, then I want you to know that God's resources of encouragement are available to you. He shares it freely. And it is available within this church. And so, you know, every Sunday when we gather together, we're, we're, we're always doing that. And then we set aside this little time right after the sermon. Because the hope is, is that after hearing some of this and thinking on it, well, what action do you need to take? 
So I want to extend what we call the invitation to everyone. First, who do you need to encourage today? And I don't mean encourage them like, gee, you're so pretty. You know, that, that's fine. Go ahead and do that if you need to. But I'm talking about what spiritual encouragement can you share with someone that is God has given you that opportunity. You know, I'll tell you how it, it's happened with me. People over the last few weeks who have dealt with uh, family members who have gone through heart surgery or family members who are going through uh, dementia or other de- degenerative uh, situations like that have just said to me, you're not alone. You're not alone. And they're offering me encouragement because what God has done for them, I'm seeing through them what God does, and that's the testimony to his power. Um, there's other situations where you encourage one another to instill hope. That it's not just your story, but it's God's story. So the invitation this morning is, who do you need to encourage? How do you need to encourage, be encouraged, number two? You know, here's what we're going to do. We want you to know that you can come to God. So when these elders are standing up here, or when they're meeting back there in that room, or, you know, or maybe even just some of the people around you, if you feel the need to pray with them, um, I, I know we have some formality that says you come up here and then somebody has to get up and say, we want to pray for so-and-so because this and this and this. Sometimes that's an encouragement in and of itself, and I don't want to put that down. But I also want you to understand that that's not required. That all you have to do is say to, the, to one of the shepherds or to somebody who you trust just to say, listen, I need some strength and encouragement Will you pray this with me? And Jesus says, where two or three of you gather together and agree on anything, I'm right there with you. And God will send his encouragement through the Spirit and that Spirit that operates in us and others. It's the the same power. And if there's any other way that you need encouragement, that's the invitation today. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that during... This moment of time, while we're singing, and in singing we get an opportunity to encourage one another, we get an opportunity to be encouraged as we rely on the poetry of others who have uh, embodied your spirit and used your spirit as we get the gift of being in unison, harmonizing with one another, and uh, doing something bigger than ourselves. It becomes a, a symbol of how your spirit operates within us and around us and through us. And Father, please send your encouraging spirit to all of us who need it today and give us the courage to act. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.